Phil Nazaro was a priest in the Episcopal Church for over 50 years. To say he was a quiet man would betray his stinging wit and thoughtful contributions. But he was most often, besides his beloved wife, who was the head of an Episcopal school and commanded respect whenever she walked into a room. It was only by comparison that Phil seemed quiet. Attending staff meetings with Phil was my favorite. I always tried to sit next to him in hopes that he would write notes on my calendar or be the beneficiary of his terrible puns. Phil took God very seriously, but not so himself or the church. After many decades in the pulpit and at the altar, Phil had memorized the verses of most hymns and had stunning recall of the epistle epistle passage for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, which I assure you is a very obscure reference. Trinity Sunday, which we celebrate today, was a litmus test for him. He always delighted to see who was scheduled to preach and how they would handle or mishandle the topic. And so it's Phil's voice that I've had in my head all week. It's all about relationship, stupid. He'd grin and offer a deep belly laugh. I've tried to carry Phil's wisdom and well-earned clarity into the sermon this morning, lest we risk losing the point of this mystery before we've even begun. When we make reference to the Trinity, we are invoking the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the tie that binds them together. The Trinity is one of the things that sets us apart as Christians. And our curiosity around the unique nature of these relationships came about in the aftermath of Jesus' resurrection and has only intensified over time. What could have made possible encounters with miraculous healings and mercy found in Jesus, a resurrection after a brutal crucifixion, and encounters with a risen Christ. How is that all possible? Dating back to the authors of the Nicene Creed, you will find language of co-eternal, consubstantial, and hypostatic union. But at the heart of the matter is ultimately a desire to grow closer to God and to be able to point to the mystery and Jesus and understand the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit. For centuries, Christians have sought clarity as to how each of these might all be related one to the other. And so it seems that Phil's wisdom about relationship is the perfect entry point. Now, these are not just any relationships, that which connects the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faithful theologians have spent lifetimes grasping for the perfect analogy or words to make finite what is only partially known. But it seems worthy a reminder of the difference between a mystery and a problem. While a problem seeks an eventual resolution, a mystery is something that gains depth the more it is examined. Rather than simple understanding, a mystery absorbs me into it, said one theologian. The Trinity is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be experienced. The Reverend Dr. Sam Wells describes the Trinity in this way. The life of the Trinity incorporates both the purposeless joy of participation for its own sake and the purposeful intent of partnership for the exercise and enjoyment of the diverse gifts of the respective persons. Let me say that one more time. The life of the Trinity 
incorporates both the purposeless joy of participation for its own sake and the purposeful intent of partnership for the exercise and enjoyment of the diverse gifts of the respective persons. The type of partnership we encounter in the Trinity is not that of legal partners or even covenantal partnership, but the partnership that is enriched simply because it exists. The unique thing about this one and three and three and one is that it is not complete without the other. The individual parts only make sense because of our encounters of the whole. The Trinity constitutes more than an unusual relationship, and yet without the relationship, we can hardly begin to understand what we are dealing with. Think for a moment about the role that school plays in our children's lives. And I'm going to put them on the spot. I didn't warn them that I was doing this. Um, But Sawyer and Nicholas and Tori and Aoife why would you all say you go to school? Just shout out an answer. Why do you go to school? Because you like to learn. Well done. Why do you guys go to school? Just one reason. What'd you say? Because your parents make you. Exactly. Molly is now mortified. Yes, because your parents make you. That is accurate. What about you, Nicholas? To learn. Eva, what about you? To learn. Okay. All right. Well, we have. Yes. Why? I'm sorry. I don't know your name. Tell me your name. Zach. Tell me why you go to school. Well, I know summer. It's summer. <laughs> and and our children are smarter than I am. Right. So exactly. Exactly. Here's my point. Okay. So we have an exceptional group of students who go to school to learn. However, what I, what what drives you to get out of bed in the morning? Maybe that's a different question than why you go to school. There's something that motivates you differently to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Breakfast. Breakfast. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you and me both, man. Um, <laughs> I might venture. I'm going to go ahead where I'm trying to go. I'm going to venture, and you guys can, we can talk about this at coffee hour, that your friends enhance your experience. Your friends make school a motivating experience. I think the presumption is that children go to school to learn and to pass exams, which clearly our exceptional children do. But the truth is, while this may motivate the adults in their lives, it's not the most motivating factor for them. Similarly, we do not seek an encounter with God so that we might pass a test. We seek to encounter God so that we might see our friend. We don't come to church so that we might pass God's test. We go to church because we are greatly enriched by those who share in the faith. If we lose touch with these relationships, we lose touch with God. We're never at risk of failing a test from God. We come to church that we might gain greater understanding of the complex mystery and beauty of God that is found in the faces of the people who surround us. So why does any of this matter? The particulars of Trinitarian theology likely, I hope, do not keep you up at night. But ultimately, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit says everything about who we believe God to be. The creator of the entire universe was humble enough to go to any length to make sure that we grasped the extent of love that God has for us. 
And this extravagant love did not end with Jesus, but continues every day in the companionship of the Holy Spirit. God did not love us once, but loves us still. This matters because it ought to inform how we interact with one another. The question at stake for us is whether our relationships are aspiring to the relationships of the Trinity. Whenever we seek to form maintain or repair relationships, are we imitating and anticipating the relationships of the Trinity? Are our relationships marked by joy and the joy of participation and the purposeful intent of partnership for the enjoyment of the diverse gifts of every person? Meaning, this requires that we disarm ourselves of any agenda, cynicism, the purposefulness of our Protestant work ethic, and the very capitalistic nature that is baked into our society. It is to slow down enough to celebrate the gift of being with one another in the way that God longs to be with us. In a few minutes, we will do something completely countercultural and commit ourselves to a small child who most of you are meeting for the first time this morning. We are not her family of origin, but a family that Diane and Jared have invited us to be a part of simply because they can. We do not wait to make our commitment to Samantha until she has done anything to deserve our admiration or passed any sort of litmus test of the faith. We very specifically surround Samantha and her family with our presence before she can even ask for it, offering a glimpse of the radiant love that God has for her. It is a perfect example of a relationship that God delights in, full of the purposeless joy of participation for its own sake. A priest was once asked how hearing confessions from parishioners impacted his outlook on humanity. The assumption baked into the question was that the more that he saw and heard of his congregation and of humanity, the more depressed he would become about the state of the world. Quite the opposite, he replied. The more detailed my picture of God becomes, the more awe and wonder I have of God. Meaning, it was in the face of those who were most in need of God's mercy and grace that he came to know the very heart of God. So be inspired in your attempts, however feeble they may seem. Because this work of being in relationship with one another means we are participating in the work in the holy work that God invites us into between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.